Good morning, everybody, and welcome in. John and I uh, back in studio today. Yours truly, Mike Parker with John Warren. T.J. Matthewson is out at what is a wet and getting wetter pro throw field. I'm sure. Oh, getting, yeah, yeah. Uh, that hasn't been the case much uh, during uh, preseason camp, as I think Nick Dashiell has, I think, wisely decided to term what used to be known as Fall camp, which all takes place in the season known as summer. When I when I read that, I've always said fall camp, but we joke about it. When I read that uh, this last August, it was Nick's article. Mm-hmm. I haven't been able to go back. I, I say preseason camp yeah, now. pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> and fall ball taking place, right. some, some of that before autumn. Well, actually, fall ball it begins in fall for baseball. Yeah. They've had excellent weather. They're going to have to take most of the stuff indoors today to Truax yeah. or McAlexander or whatever else they have available. Now, maybe they're not even using old McAlexander anymore. The house Jim Wilson hit one year yeah. with a long drive to deep left field. On the bounce. Yeah, you know, as there's legend no has, way. I think he hit it over and on the bounce it went into the Willamette River. <laughs> there's there's no way. That's a long shot, folks. Um my trip with uh, baseball, I don't know, a couple of years ago, we went to Mississippi State. Their version of Truax, their indoor facility, has only a half a football field. The other half of the field is a diamond. Oh. So they, they're sharing. Like, oh, I mean, more yeah, ways that's than a one. little surprising. Yeah. I mean, it's a permanent built-in. That's surprising. 50 yards. They, they do have goalposts, you know, on the, the, the screens, the fake stripes on the screen that mm-hmm. indicate the goalposts that guys can kick, but no, not a full field, not a full field. It, it almost strikes you that, that when I say it's surprising football being King and sec country, but they love their baseball there too. Yeah. And that's a great baseball school. And so that almost has the look of an There's, equal footing. There is a possibility though. We weren't really shown. There is a possibility. They have a complete separate, Football one. Probably. But the one we were in, which is right next to the baseball facility. That's two. Uh, was half fif- and half. Huh? 50 okay. yards of football and a full baseball diamond. So maybe football, like you say, go the other way. Maybe it's so important they get one and a half buildings. That could be. <laughs> so today on the Joe Beaver Show, we have, for the most part, open phones this hour with a busy second hour. Yeah. A lot of texts, and we appreciate those. If there were any follow-throughs or follow-ups on the University Honda text line from yesterday, we'll get to those as we go. We'd love to get to phone calls on the Downward Dog phone line, which is available. If you'd care to jump in, if you weren't able to to call or get in yesterday with your thoughts about the Beavers and Huskies, your thoughts about just the way the game played out, the game experience, the storming of the field, watching it, the... with Lincoln Kennedy and Lincoln, you know, it's, it was kind of interesting. I've watched most of it with our friend Roxy, who was kind enough to stop by Friday at bench warmers and then went over and, and I thought was excellent on the call yeah, as was always, great. but Lincoln, a Husky. Yeah. And he and Nigel Burton got together Friday night in Portland. He, whether he stayed with Nigel, I, I heard something to that effect from Roxy Lincoln stopping by to see Nigel's Jesuit team that he's the secondary D coordinator for to, to play and, and was going to hang out with him, whether he spent the night with him, you know, or two old Huskies getting together, I don't know. Yeah. But Lincoln at the end was kind of, it, it's odd. You don't hear it said that often, but I thought it was almost the Husky in him kind of saying at the end, if I heard it correctly, 
Good for Oregon State. Congratulations to the Beavs, which maybe any announcer in any situation would say, but I felt it was almost going so far the other way that I'm here to say, as a Husky, congratulations think, to the Beavs. I, I think it still is in him because he referenced being up here. They were trying to kill time last night. On the, because of the delay yeah. in the Raider game, Yeah, right? the, the mm-hmm. lightning, which we got... I don't know about that. I thought that's an indoor stadium. They were Petros was on this morning with the guys on Fox Sports, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Well, I don't understand. What, what do you mean?" Anyway, um, <laughs> so Brent brought it up. Goes, "Yeah, yeah, I was up in Corvallis this weekend, and oh, good, and reference, you know, being a Husky, calling a calling a Husky game against the Beavers, and did Brent bring up? Yeah, it didn't go so well for you, did it? He Link, didn't, or? but okay. but he did himself. <laughs> Lincoln's like, well, you know, he he, he brought it up, so. <laughs> You know that he's thinking about it. Yeah. Good. I saw him through the glass. I wanted to talk to him mm-hmm. just to say, hey, we've had you on the show. I'm the other half. It's really nice of you. And we we carry the Raiders, so we've got you we've got you twice and maybe But they, they do st- there's one thing, they stand guard pretty well over yeah. that Pac twelve broadcast booth. Don't yeah, they? and without yeah, you food don't just in the booth, barge in. No, and without food in the booth, there's no reason for guys to come out of the their right. their rooms. They bring food to them. Yeah. The Pac-12 has, they had, I saw they had, we were looking and going the old Bob Euchre. Having a good time. <laughs> yeah, in what, that do you, what do you got in there yeah. while we're starving? <laughs> but they, they, um, no, the old routine was everybody was in the, it's not like that anymore. No, Everybody would be in there prior to the game. At one point or another, people have breaks. Sure. And we would, I, I, you know, I've talked to Ted Robinson. I've talked to Petros Papadakis, uh, visiting radio guys, um, writers that we have on this show in the weeks or the days leading up to ball games, And that just isn't the case anymore. Trevor Mueller will join us at 12.05 and then Steve Tannen at 12.30. So we have open phones for the most part. With Tannen, a good friend of the show and a guy I enjoy listening to almost every day. Uh, when we're done here and then in the afternoon if I'm driving around, which was often you know, running errands, heading places, I love Steve Tannen's work. I love his show. I know that he works on the Oregon pre- and post-game shows for football. Does a great job in that format. But the thing I've always appreciated about Steve is his love and passion for all sports. I learn a lot from him every day. He is, if somebody would say to me, who would you want? You could pick a guy kind of in your sphere, your circle to do, to play sports trivia. He'd be maybe if I, I had the first draft pick, I might take him. You know what I mean? Yeah. On everything. Yeah. It's unbelievable to me when I hear him start talking about things with clear insight, intelligence, knowledge, memories. And so for today, even though we will talk some football with him, we will. Yeah. And, you know, the there was certainly a great deal of misery down the road for for fans of the program down the road after another tough loss to Stanford. There have been a bunch of those through the years to the Cardinal. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think Steve was trying to say, hey, there's a, and he's right, as as the Beavers know and everybody knows, there's a long way to go this year, and a lot of things can still unfold and happen. The loss was a tough one for them and unexpected. I don't want to get into that so much with Steve, although that'll come up along with the Beavers 2-0 start. He's well-versed in what Oregon State is doing and doesn't talk a lot about the Beavers being in the market that he's in. And it certainly works both ways. We rarely have ever talked about what's going on down there. We know, like any yeah. any journalist for a league, we just don't yeah. delve into it. So with Steve, though, you know what today is? 
Today's Today, a big day. It, it's not the direct anniversary, but it strikes me as it, it's worthwhile for me anyway to talk about it because you yeah. have, more than I do, I remember watching the game, but I do not have a vivid game experience as you do, an unforgettable one, and Tannen as well, whose dad allowed him to skip school that day. Really? His dad skipped work, and they got together to watch October 3rd, 1978. Now, today's game between the two storied franchises does not have, even though it's a winner take, I mean, it's a one game elimination, but the winner doesn't quite take all the losers out. And then the winner's got a lot of work to do after that, but it's the Boston Red Sox at Fenway park, hosting the New York Yankees in a one game Play in more than anything it does, else. It doesn't say, see, it's not the same. Right. Even it's though the not loser the goes home, it's just not the same it's, as it was that spring day or that fall day. It's not the same, but it's still those two ancient major league franchises with the bitterness of rivalry through the years playing one another yeah. with a lot on the line, obviously. Not the same type of stakes at the end of a pennant race deciding a division winner, but as it did in 1978. Mm-hmm. But still, October 3rd of 78, a memorable date in baseball history. And some have argued, and even written a book along these lines, the greatest game ever played. Really? The 5-4 to four Yankees win in the one-game playoff in 1978. A book has been written with that title, the greatest game ever played. And many writers, essayists, have come in and taken that game and written about it. And Thomas Boswell, for me, is still the very best. The essay that he wrote about that game, when we come out of break, we hope to hear uh, in open phones at 497-5356 about the Beavs and your thoughts about the Beavs and the victory over Washington and back-to-back wins and just sort of how you're enjoying the season. Late in the show yesterday, I shared a text from a longtime Beaver fan of 45 years who said this team is is becoming, if not already, the favorite team he's followed in 45 years as a fan. Now, that's saying a lot. Wow. He may be, because they won't, this team in 2021 has only played five games. Yeah. So I can tell, though, from my friend who I've known for a long time, and he's an Oregon State alum and Central Catholic High School graduate, good man, Tom loves the beeves and for him to say that that's saying a lot i mean he went to the fiesta ball he know he knows of other storied seasons for the beeves but he he just says from the demeanor and the character and the humility and the all of the things he hears in the interviews and in the various social media outlets and shows he said this team is becoming if it isn't already the favorite team he's ever followed at oregon state I can see why. I can see why on those levels, because um, that's that's definitely what we've seen these last couple of years under Jonathan Smith. It just it reminds me of Pat Casey. It really does. And, and the the character and, and the leadership, all of that only put it on the football field and the football guys. Uh, Smith, to me, though, is more a little more even keel. Pat always was, too. But but Jonathan is like. Cor- corporate would be a bad word yes. to say, well, the program's very corporate. No. It's not. It's just because I lament the missing of fury and passion mm-hmm. for the sport of football. Mm-hmm. Because I always thought you had to have that in order to stay safe. You have to go 
in football or you get hurt. That's why a lot of these rules, they're complaining, especially defensive linemen are complaining. When you have to hold up to not hit a guy a certain way, you get hurt doing that. And so corporate would be, it's not the right word, but he's just so even keel. And that pays off for both when you're winning, you don't get too big of a head. When you're losing, you don't think the sky is falling. Right. And that's why I I have a, a good feeling about whatever may unfold Saturday on the Palouse at Martin Stadium. It won't it's not going to be because the Beavers are full of themselves right. and overlooking anybody. No, or, no, no. Not at all. Not even close. It, they could get beat, but they would get beat fair and square head and to you head. Have to, and, yeah, like you said, yeah, you, you have to respect that everybody on you can look at the schedule and say, uh, they should be able to beat everybody on the schedule. But you should also look at it and say they could get beat by everybody on the schedule. Let's take a break. I would love to hear from you. And if you if you uh, care in any wise to indulge October 3 of 78, just as perhaps a longtime fan of the sport, maybe even a fan of one of those teams, a lifelong Red Sox fan. We I know that Red Sox fans are legion, as are Yankee fans. If you care to talk about that. I'm talking more about 78 than 2021, but it is interesting that they meet for the first time since then in a one game to decide since 78, since 78. There hasn't been a one game scenario since then. Wow. So if any of you recall watching any of that, having some feel for it, feel free to share on that, but it's the Joe Beaver show. My friends text yesterday. Does it does it in any way uh, provoke, well, okay, I, I'm not there yet with this team, but I can see where your friend is going, that type of thing, or whatever else you want to jump in with in open phones. 497-5356, that's the same number for the University Honda text line. And, John, we, we hope to hear from uh, callers. We hope to get some texts. You and I will reflect a bit, too, next on a stunning and, and very sad loss oh when we come gosh. back. I know oh it really hit you more because you had more of a yeah. working relationship with a with a very good and well-loved man. Well, we'll talk about that and more. We Dominic, appreci- uh, Dominic says go Yankees. I, I get it. I get it. And we can ask him what he did October 3, yeah. 78. Where were you, Give Dominic? us a call, Dominic. How did you take that game in? Let's take a break. Love to talk to you today on 1240 Joe Radio. Woodstock's Pizza on Kings Boulevard in Corvallis truly is pizza for all. Whether you're on the offense, the defense, or the special teams, maybe even the third-string punter, Woodstock's is pizza for all. With over 36 fresh toppings to choose from, six sauce options, three crust options, also gluten-free and non-dairy options, and delivery to most of Corvallis. Woodstock's Pizza on Kings Boulevard in Corvallis truly is pizza for all, even third-string punters. Who is the Beeves' third-string punter? If you've been putting off that home remodeling project, now's the time to get it done, and Corvallis Floor Covering can help. Stop by and browse through their large showroom with a wide variety of carpet, vinyl, laminate, tile, wood flooring, and window coverings from all the popular brands. The staff, Wendy, Robin, and Brian, have years of combined experience and look forward to working with you. Corvallis Floor Covering is at the corner of 2nd and Van Buren downtown. Or log on to CorvallisFloorCovering.com. Shop local. Shop Corvallis Floor Covering. 
Hi, I'm former Oregon State athlete Tim Ewis, your Corvallis Edward Jones financial advisor. Financial investments are very important, but so are the investments of time, patience, and encouragement our young athletes receive from their coaches, teachers, and mentors. That's why Edward Jones is a proud sponsor of Oregon State and area high school sports. Call me, Tim Ewis, at 541-758-8245 or stop by my office in the Timber Hill Shopping Complex in Corvallis for all of your investment needs. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Go Beavs. This is Beaver Football. I'm Randy Holmes, owner of the Angry Beaver Grill, where we're bringing the tailgate atmosphere for OSU football game day. Going to the game, Angry Beaver will be offering a shuttle service to and from the stadium. Every Tuesday, check out our What Do You Know trivia. Try our extended menu with new items such as chili cheese fries and loaded tachos. And don't miss our daily specials offered Tuesday through Friday. Angry Beaver Grill will be open for breakfast Saturday and Sunday. And at 3 p.m. Tuesday through Friday, thank you for supporting the Angry Beaver Grill on 4th Street in downtown Corvallis. And remember, go Beavs. For auto glass solutions, better call the glass man. Call 541-760-2277. Call the glass man. Hi, this is Jake the glass man. Do you need to repair or replace your windshield? Do you have questions? Stop by or give me a call. For auto glass solutions, better call the glass man. Call 541-760-2277. Call the glass man. Kraken Cards in downtown Corvallis carries sports cards, Pokemon cards, MTG cards, board games, collectibles, card sleeves, playmats, and more. Have you been to Kraken Cards yet? If you're into sports cards and games, Kraken Cards is for you. Kraken Cards knowledgeable staff can help you find what you're looking for and at fair market value. And for you Oregon State fans, Kraken Cards has a dedicated Oregon State alumni box to browse. Kraken Cards, 114 Southwest 3rd, downtown Corvallis. Kraken Cards, your connection to everything fun. 1240 Joe Radio. John, Dave Walker, uh, you worked with for many years, correct? And Dave, we yeah. lost Dave yesterday, maybe the previous evening. Uh, yesterday at the morning, age, morning. Yesterday actually. morning, early, at the age of 67. He, wow. had, he had battled some issues with COVID, but then had, had apparently from what we understand come home and was still having, still needing to have, he had some lung damage after his battle with COVID-19 and then was on oxygen for, I'm, we don't know all of the circumstances, but he passed yesterday at the age of 67, long time sportscaster, broadcaster at KVAL. And I'm sure many in our, in our listening world, Saw him on television many oh, times yeah. through the yeah, years. Yeah, as the anchor for uh, KVAL, this thing on, there we go. As the anchor for KVAL News every every weeknight. And he's kind of an aw shucks guy when you watch him on TV. He's literally that way in, in real life. Even calling play-by-play. Very accurate. Very old school, but very, very good. Very mm-hmm. accurate. Uh Dave, myself, uh, Doug Blair, Dave, uh, Mike Alliger. We used Dave to, Wenda. Dave Wenda. Um, we used to do those. The, the, the three main guys were for years. I don't know how, who it's been in the last five years since I've been doing baseball, but the three main guys have been for the longest time was myself, Dave Walker, and Mike Alliger doing the 3A and now 5, I don't know what it is now, tournament at Gill Coliseum. And every year Dave would come up. We'd go to Tommy's 4th Street Bar and Grill for breakfast um, before the first day's broadcast, which would start at 1 o'clock, and just 
download all about our lives and our families. And we haven't had a chance to do that in the last five years, although we've kept in touch because I'm not there. And he's, he actually, I think, was up doing the tournament in the Forest Grove area for the different level, not, not Corvallis anymore. And, oh, what a nice man. Yes. I mean, really, you know, I mean, yeah. when, when he would see him, and it's not because he's passed. There are some people that are so nice, and we always just know them as being so nice and likable and lovable that you don't want to say, "Wow, when you die, we're all going to we're going to say great things about you." This is literally just a guy like that, and um, and he was only sixty-seven years old, and just one of the great guys. He he started off. In fact, you you may have crossed paths when he was down there in Coos Bay when you're doing Marshfield or Cottage Grove. Did not ever do meet Dave then in those years. No, he did do a lot of work in yeah. Coos Bay. Yeah, and a very good announcer. More, we know him more through his television work yes. because he's on every night for many years as an anchor. But your interaction was in the sports world, calling high school basketball for the three A right, tournament. Right, because even though he he had moved on out of the the, mm-hmm. the high school stuff to TV, he was big time. Right, he still wanted to keep his hand in high school sports, and he was just so. Home, down home spun about the kids and just had such a great attitude and was very good at play-by-play. But another thing about Dave that I kind of knew on the side, he would tell me about it, but I didn't know exactly what he did, but heavily involved in honor flights. World War II uh, uh, people, veterans who would be helped to take them back to mm-hmm. the see the the uh, the World War II uh, you know monument in Washington D.C. Right, and I know he went once or twice, I guess. But um, yeah, just he oh, was helping to make loss. those connections to the point that you know my my dad, who was a, a Bronze Star Award winner in the in World War II and in the Battle of the Bulge, and landed at Normandy. I, my dad, we lost in 2014. He had, for, for many years, most of my growing up, didn't really want to talk about those experiences. They were so harrowing and miserable for him. And yet, as the years went along, when I would ask and a show would come on or something, there were even times we pulled maps out and he was beginning to show me where, what his route was. Yeah. Uh, attached to Patton's Third Army as a medic in the 101st Airborne as a medic, but was in and won his bronze star for being for going for supplies when the troops were surrounded by the Nazis and he had to go make a dangerous supply run. Who's going to all do it? And he went and got medical supplies and brought them back in, in Bastogne while Patton and the third army were approaching to try to provide the relief. It's, it is, it's the, the key and final decisive battle in world war two. And my dad was, was right in it. He didn't talk much about those things, but I, near the end of his life, he did a little bit more and did say, and I've said this before, the film Patton, he said, is the only war movie. And he wasn't a, he loved old movies like I did. And we'd watch Fields and the Marx Brothers and Laurel and Hardy together and have a great time. Love sports. I introduced him kind of to that whole thing. And he became a huge Beaver fan and sports fan. We talked a lot about that, went to games together when we yeah. could. And, he, you know, I've told stories about him taking me to Dodger games and Rams games and all of that growing up. But he said Patton was the only film that he ever saw that had 
some sense of, as the word goes, verisimilitude, realness to life. He saw that and said, yeah, that is kind of how it looked and what we felt. And they captured that. That was That's a well-made film, Patton. It really is a well-made film to get my dad to say that about yeah, it. He said, yeah. that's what it looked like, son. <laughs> there were probably some things that he wouldn't have wanted to see, like right. Band of Brothers, because that's right. you're there. Yep. In fact, was he in? I think that's that's the story of the 101st. It could be. I, I don't. I think Band of Brothers is about paratroopers. But yeah. I, I've not ever yeah, seen it, Band it of is, Brothers. It is. But, but what uh, the point of all of that is that near the end, not only was he talking about it, mm-hmm. but he was in dialogue and with uh, my stepmom Liz, with I believe Dave, and trying to get an honor flight to mm-hmm. go back to the, to the monument because. Because as he got older and reflecting upon his life, and, and the, he was a great man, the greatest person I've ever known. I mean, yeah. He was one of the, the true great souls of ever. And he was considering an honor flight, oh, which man. was really amazing to me that, that he had come so far to not even wanting to think about or talk about it. It was such a miser. he said, just a miserable experience. But he ended up... Uh, in the end, and his health took a downward turn, and he ended up not going on an honor flight. But my sense is that was Dave and his work yeah. trying to get veterans yeah. to have that experience. So yeah. I, we appreciate that about Dave Walker, too. Well, Mike uh, Alligator is calling in. Mike was a longtime broadcaster, still is, and doing some stuff with uh, the National Guard. I, I'm not sure what you're doing lately, Mike, but I know. Um, <laughs> can you explain Dave's involvement in uh, honor flight? Well, sure. Um, certainly, thank you guys for talking about our mutual friend and his untimely death. Uh, I, I heard you say at the outset that we had worked together, and yes, we had for years. And uh, Dave's job, uh, it was more than a couple of times. Uh, Dave went about eight or nine times up until last year, and then was going to go this year, but he couldn't because of his health. He and Lauren Ruark, his cameraman, were unable to go. They did cover it from a different way, but Dave had a unique way of covering it that he would go out and get a lot of stories weeks before he went of those who would attend and then play them during segments during the news as he was back in D.C. and then tie that into the visit with live shots from D.C. or the airport or wherever he was. And then occasionally he'd even call me, he says, tell me about this battle. Tell me about, because I am a veteran of 24 years. I am a World War II kind of history nut. Just came back from the Band of Brothers family reunion myself last weekend, actually. And uh, I, I, I know that he cared very much about accuracy because his own dad didn't tell him about his military service until he was on his deathbed. So <laughs> Dave always wondered why veterans were quiet, and we had many dialogues about that. And <laughs> Dave cared deeply, as did Lauren, about veterans capturing their story, telling it, make sure it's accurate, and to honor their service. Wow. Mike, uh, Mike Alliger joining us. Mike, what? how did... That's a whole different dimension to you know to in Dave's world that I was not familiar with until yeah. now and today, but I do know, like I said, my my dad and I imagine that might have been under Dave's auspices yeah. to try to make that flight, which ended up not happening. But how did you first intersect and crisscross with him in the sports world? <laughs> it was uh, 1986 when the Oregon Association of Broadcasters used to run the tournaments. And he and I were selected. I was just moving into Salem, and uh, 
he was selected with me to do the 3A girls tournament. At that time, a young lady named Trisha Stevens from Philomath High School was an All-American high school player. We did her games. We did games for the next five or six years until my National Guard career kind of pulled me away from it. Then I came back around to the tournament. But he and I did OAB games. Uh, we do 20, 22 games, 23 games in five days in Salem. And we did more than a dozen each at the 5A tournament John had mentioned earlier at Gill. Dave also worked the 4A up at Forest Grove with Matt Jarvis. And uh, Dave just would take off two weeks and go do basketball. And like John also says, Dave would love to get out and talk about family and life and have a couple of horns, as he would say, and just talk and laugh. And uh, we had a great time in the late 80s and early 90s together. We were like brothers, and uh, it was really hard to hard to take to hear that he had passed yesterday when I had just texted him two days before. Yeah. Didn't, how, how did he seem then? Yeah. You know, what did you find from him two days before, Mike? Well, two, two or three days before, he wasn't real talkative. They very private guy. Uh, what happened near the end, a few folks know, I do, and I care not to share. Mm -hmm. It's nothing bad. But he just wouldn't tell you much. He, he would say he was sick, or he would say he hadn't been feeling good, or he's got to do a little, a, a little doctoring, he would say, which really means he couldn't leave the home because he was quarantined. And uh, he couldn't get out and about and was on oxygen 90% of the time. Uh, I came down three weeks ago to talk with Jerry Allen down in Eugene. was going to meet him for lunch, and he had to cancel because the doc said, don't leave the house. So uh, we just kind of expected him to get better. And sometime later in October, we'd meet down in Eugene for lunch. But that didn't happen. No. Really, uh, sorry to hear for, for you, it really touches home. I mean, the, the brief interactions I had with him, Mike and John, both mm. of you, uh, you can tell he was a prince of a person and just a, a kind, sweet-hearted, good guy, yeah. really good guy. Everybody that I've known that knew him has spoken of him in that way. That's a pretty eloquent tribute, Mike. You know, David, that's, John said it really well. He's just a regular, this is a star, if you want to call him. A, he didn't see himself as any star. He says, I just get paid a lot of money to do to be on the TV, <laughs> yeah. as he would say. Yeah. And uh, he, he worked with a lot of young reporters that are out of Eugene and in Portland and Seattle now to prep them for jobs the next level. That was part of his job. And uh, he was getting ready to retire at the end of the year, looking at a lung transplant so he could, could have a good life and to uh, move down to Arizona where it was more conducive for good. I knew all of this because he told me. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know the timeline. But I, I do have to say that when Dave and I would work these tournaments, we would always see each other off and on during the trip. A tournament when I worked for the Oregon Department of Veterans Affairs. If he came up to do a story, we'd try to meet for coffee. He always made him, usually tried to make himself available because he's on a tight schedule. Uh, I talked to him the day he went over and covered the Amsville tornado. He says, I got to head home, but I'll catch you later. <laughs> and the next thing I know, he's over there with Lauren on that Amsville tornado on yeah. his way back from Salem. Uh, I just, uh, and then the main thing is the friendship we continued. He uh, talked with my mom days before she died because we used to broadcast to all cities, to include my hometown of Hood River, and when we did the tournaments. And he always had something cute for mom, and then he called her before she passed. And 
uh, every March, I'll let you leave you with this. We had a kind of a tradition we've been doing since the late 80s. We would toast his mom because she liked to have a martini, and then we would toast my grandpa because he, he also died in March, and we're at the tournament. And the next thing you know, he added on my mom when she passed away nine years ago, and then his late wife, Mary. And the next thing you know, we're going to have to start doing two people at a time or we're not going to walk out of there. So <laughs> <laughs> we had a great time. Dave was a cherished friend, yeah. as he was for John and others. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you what, TVOutTV.com has really done a nice job to uh, honor his memory. Yeah, and we've reached out to uh, Shelly Kurtz and, and hope that we can get Shelly on the show at some point this week, too. Mike, we appreciate you taking time to, Thanks, Mike. to call. What are you doing now, Mike? Oh, uh, just retired the end of July, no longer with the Oregon Veterans Home in Lebanon and the Dallas, where I've worked for five years. I volunteer there still with the veterans, but uh, someone heard I was retired and said, uh, hey, KYKN Radio, would you like to do high school football on Friday nights? First I said no, then I said yes. So between that and Willamette Home Football and Basketball, I guess I'm not that retired. No, you're not. <laughs> Keep up the great work, Mike, and thank you for taking time to call us today. We appreciate it a lot. I want to thank you both for honoring Dave's memory. Thank you. Thank you, Thanks, Mike. Mike. Mike Allager staying in the in the business. Yeah. And he's a great guy himself. I mean, oh man, there you meet so many good people when you work those tournaments and when you uh, in this business. In fact, yesterday a lot of the tributes I noticed on Facebook were from guys we knew. Blair, remember Blair? I can't remember his last name. Uh, Nick Krupke up at mm -hmm. Channel Twelve. Yeah, I saw that. I All saw the his. sports guys who we knew very well and they were coming up working at at KVL yeah. TV with Dave. We will take a break. If you have any, you may have some personal thoughts or interactions, feel free to share them with us. As we go to break, I do want to share the elegance of the, the account, Thomas Boswell's account. The essay in his book, you may think it's a bit hyperbolic to, to speak of life this way, but he has a book entitled How Life Imitates the World Series. It's a collection of baseball essays, one of which is entitled The Greatest Game Ever Played. If you, could, you can look anything up these days. I highly recommend, if you like, just good sports writing, good writing, take sports out of it, just excellent writing that captures the spirit of the two franchises, the Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees, better than any article, anything I've ever read anywhere, and how the... That 1978 season all came down to one game, the playoff game, October 3rd, 78 at Fenway. Then that's the piece for you. Thomas Boswell, the greatest game ever played, and it's contained within the book, How Life Imitates the World Series. And I, I've been reading it, you know, for you know, most of my adult life, that, that the, the writings of Thomas Boswell. But he, I'll give you a couple of things as we go to break. When Bucky hit his home run, he had chopped, just before he hit it, he hit a foul ball off his front foot. And here's how Boswell describes the aftermath of that. As Dent was administered a pain-killing spray, on-deck hitter Mickey Rivers, who had forgotten his sunglasses and butchered a fly ball earlier, suddenly <coughs> became uncharacteristically observant. He saw a crack in Dent's bat, 
and fetched Bucky another one of the same style, of such minutia as history made. That and fastballs down the middle. Yeah. The point being that if Mickey Rivers is normally not that observant, according to Boswell, Jim, Johnny, yeah. Dent has a, a cracked bat, and he's not going to hit one out, even out of the short porch at Fenway with a broken bat. He just ain't. But Mickey saw it. Bucky didn't even know it. So Mickey fetches him another bat, and the rest is history. After Dent hit it, said Carlton Fisk, I let out a sigh of relief. I thought we got away with a mistake pitch. Then I saw Yaz looking up, and I said, oh, my God. (laughs) That's pretty dramatic right there because the wind had shifted and was beginning to blow out, and it took every bit of that wind to shift. Yastrzemski watched that boosting wind loft the ball barely over the wall fair by 30 feet as the three-run homer nestled in the net, and the Red Sox, by the way, were leading two to nothing at the time. Yeah. In the seventh inning. As the three-run homer nestled in the net, and I've seen this image so many times, Yastrzemski's knees buckled as though he had been hammered over the head with a bat. The Yankees erupted from the dugout like souls released from Hades. <laughs> That's how Bob quite well, the visual. No, it, yeah, he's right. You turn defeat into victory on a what would have been a broken bat pop-up or strut, whatever else. He got enough, the wind had shifted, and finally, this is how he closes the essay. When the white speck after Yaz fouled out to end the game with runners at second and third, I mean, Yaz is a base hit away from sending the Red Sox to the pennant. He fouled out to Greg Nettles, and here's how Boswell describes that. This is what made me fall in love with baseball writing. This paragraph alone, these last two. When the white speck had fallen into Nettles' glove, The Fenway fans stood in their places. For long minutes, no one moved as the baseball congregation drank in the cathartic sweetness of the silence. Proud police horses pranced on the infield, waiting to hold back a crowd that never charged. Finally, the war of a public address recording began. Gently, softly, the music of an old-fashioned melancholy carousel drifted through Fenway Park. The sun was going down, so we all went home Bearing canvases for a lifetime. The Beautiful. Wh- the white speck that fell into his glove. Wow. And the phrase, bearing canvases for a lifetime, absolutely right. The images are with everybody that saw that, that yeah. was at the game, both teams, the fan bases for both. Bearing canvases for a lifetime. I've used that from time to time about our own shared experiences in Beaver Nation over some of the joyous moments. Yeah. You're burying those canvases with you for a lifetime. October 3rd, 1978. Beautiful writing on what some call the greatest game That's ever played. That's amazing writing. Steve Tannen will join us at 1230. Talk about skipping school to watch it, and I want to hear your story, yeah. too, on 1240 Joe Radio. It's a party, and it's every Friday night at Highland Bowl. It starts at 10 and runs until 1230. Check out the black lights and glow and bowl to your favorite music. Thunder Alley. Includes unlimited bowling, shoes, and prizes for just 12 bucks. Call now and reserve your lane for Thunder Alley. Every Friday night from 10 until 1230. We set them up. You knock them down. Highland Bowl. Highland Bowl, 9th Street, Corvallis. 
If you're expecting family or guests this fall or during the holidays, maybe you don't have a place for them to sleep. A futon from Futon Man in Corvallis is the perfect solution. Futon Man has quality constructed solid hardwood frames in lots of styles and finishes, and their futons have a highly resilient, long-lasting foam core, and they're made right in the store in Corvallis. There's lots of cover choices, too. And students, a futon works great when you need some extra space in your dorm. Stop by Futon Man, two miles north of Corvallis on Highway 99 and online at futon man Middleton Heating has kept Mid-Valley residents comfortable for over 72 years. Middleton can service, repair, or replace all types of brands of heating and cooling equipment. Plus, they offer financing options on new equipment and also participate in state and federal incentive programs. If your heating unit is giving you trouble, if you have kitchen or dryer venting needs, or if you're just looking for some sheet metal, call Middleton Heating today. You can count on Middleton Heating for all your heating, cooling, venting, and sheet metal needs. Find them online at middletonheating.net. Shrimp has joined the Flavor Fam at Qdoba Mexican Eats with new citrus lime shrimp. Create your own crave-worthy burrito or bowl with our sustainably sourced shrimp that's sautéed in-house and topped with whatever your flavor-loving heart desires. Or try new chef-crafted surf and turf bowl made with citrus lime shrimp, grilled steak, chili crema, and guacamole. Get it while you can, only at Qdoba. Qdoba Mexican Eats, customizable burritos, crave-worthy tacos, and three cheese queso. Qdoba is on Monroe in Corvallis. Stargazer Premier Florist in Corvallis knows that a meaningful gift can brighten someone's day and have them feel appreciated, especially during these unprecedented times. Stargazer Premier provides contactless deliveries with a focus on keeping families and friends connected and safe. Choose from Stargazer Premier Florist's wide selection of fresh floral arrangements, bountiful bouquets, gift baskets, and houseplants. Stop in, call, or view Stargazer's selection online at StargazerPremierFlorist.com. Stargazer Premier Florist, 925 Northwest Circle Boulevard in Corvallis. This is Katie Albin, letting you know that Albin's Plumbing is going underground. Oh, you'll still find us located on 9th Street in Corvallis, but we are also underground, as in underneath sidewalks, driveways, and patios. Using directional boring, Albin's can run your plumbing underground, avoiding the need for costly and messy concrete repair. Just give us a call. At Albin's Plumbing, plumbing's all we do. Call 754-8282, Albin's Plumbing. If you've been putting off that home remodeling project, now's the time to get it done, and Corvallis Floor Covering can help. Stop by and browse through their large showroom with a wide variety of carpet, vinyl, laminate, tile, wood flooring, and window coverings from all the popular brands. The staff, Wendy, Robin, and Brian, have years of combined experience and look forward to working with you. Corvallis Floor Covering is at the corner of 2nd and Van Buren downtown. Or log on to CorvallisFloorCovering.com. Shop local. Shop Corvallis Floor Covering. 1240 Joe Radio. Okay, so I have really disappointing news. Yes. <laughs> is it possible? Yes, it is. I know. I know. I know. I know what I saw. I know what I saw, and it can't be taken from me. Okay. My friend Paul listening on the radio in Mr. Lee's math class. Oh. I texted him, and he doesn't remember listening on the radio. Well. How do you not remember that if you're the one doing it? It's possible because there are certain people that, uh, as I've shared with you, John, over the years, that, you know, I have had to, my friend, 
My friend Tim Stokes, who played for George Allen and the Washington Redskins on the offensive line. Yeah, I know. Also Tim. played at the University of Oregon. His daughter, Bailey, Bailey. played basketball for the Beavs. Yep. Tim and Jody, friends from our days living in Eugene and working there. And Tim, I did high school football games in Eugene, and Tim was my analyst. And mm-hmm. We had a great time, became good friends, and I still see him, and I seek him out every time I go to a game, particularly at it used to be at Mac Corps, now Matthew Knight Arena. He always sits in the same seats, and we always have a good time visiting about the old days and things. Mm-hmm. I like Tim Stokes a, a good deal. But Stokes, who played in games that I would reference, he would say, yeah, well, it was in 73 when we went up to Minnesota. No, he'd say, it was in 74. We went up and played Minnesota in a play. Well, Tim, it was actually 73. <laughs> no, no, no. In 73, we, and then in 74, and then I start saying, well, you lost to the Vikings 27-20 to 20 in 73 in that yeah. playoff game. Yeah. And then in 74, you went to the L.A. Coliseum and lost to the Rams 19-10. to 10. I, Tim, trust me, I'm speaking the truth to you. Yeah. And yeah. Tim would, well, man, let me think. Now, 70, yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> he would be correct. And I tell him, hey, you beat Frank Grant in 75 on a last-second Kilmer pass to, to, to beat the Vikings and, and yeah. Fran Tarkenton in a great game I'll never forget, 31-30. You know, that was 76. I know it was not because in 75 you guys didn't make the playoff. And eventually he'd come around, uh, okay, you're right about that too. The point being that you you may have a memory, yeah. and it's true, your friend doesn't remember. He doesn't remember. He what was the memory? He said he remembers the game, but he doesn't remember listening on the radio. So and that, it led to a moment of yes. confrontation for you. Yeah, well, we a moment of... of, of Getting in trouble. Hilarity okay. for me, because I was in the same class. So we're in Mr. Lee's eighth grade math class. October 3 of 78. October 3, 1978. I, I remember everything about that day. Thinking of the game. Now, I was too chicken. I was not the guy that would ever do bad things. I, I So I didn't sneak a radio in, but Paul did. And Paul was listening on the radio. And this was at a time, I don't know if he told us to study something or whatever, but it was, it was quiet. And I, Mr. Lee might have even been talking and giving instruction. I just remember. And now envision this, seventh grade boys, uh, actually eighth grade. We were eighth grade boys. We were, my time period as yours and many others in our listening audience, was exactly like... Uh, Stand by me or or the Sandlot. I mean, we we were into everything sports, and we were into everything that kids that movies are made of. So we're looking, trying to sneak a radio on a big game. We knew when the big games were. We stayed up as late as we could to watch Monday Night Football when it was just getting started, and and all of that, all of that. Or and then of course in junior high, you you start to have classes for 45 minutes then you go on the hall and have another class mm-hmm. you don't stay in the same room all day like you do in grade school so we would talk we would find our other buddies and get caught up on things in between classes yeah yeah what's the score now stuff like that so paul had a transistor radio and was listening did he have an earpiece he had an earpiece okay. and it was all quiet it was really quiet and the next thing i i hear <laughs> Bucky Dent went- just hit a home run. <laughs> Bucky Dent just hit a home run. I laughed so hard, not because of the joy. I personally didn't care. But was he a Yankee fan? He well, okay, or just he, the just moment the caught moment, him. Yeah, yeah, because he's not a Yankee fan. Okay. I laughed so hard because of the antics of my friend, right? right. And knowing that Mr. Lee, it was a dead respect, silent class. Did at not. The moment. Yeah, is dead silent. 
and he did not appreciate that. He wasn't a sports <laughs> fan that we could <laughs> recall. I don't even remember what kind of uh, punishment Paul received. You probably got a little piece of it, too, for laughing <laughs> yeah, so hard. Yeah. I mean, you could literally make that a scene yes, from you a could. kid's movie. Yes, you could. <laughs> and he doesn't remember it He now. says, no, I remember the game, but I don't remember listening on the radio. I'm like, that's the whole point. That's the point of the story. Sneaking the radio yeah. into to the class and sneaking listening to it while you're not supposed to. I trust your account and I, not his faulty memory. No, I can see it in my mind's I, eye. You've told me that. That's a story we've shared together for 20 years. Yeah. I know what happened. It's true. <laughs> yes. He may not remember no, it. No, As being the guy with the Maybe radio. Maybe his punishment uh, wiped <laughs> the memory out. <laughs> I, I do love the part about Mr. Lee. Just, <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. What? Not a happy guy no. on that scene. He was uh, he was a quiet guy. He wasn't a fe- We didn't fear him <laughs> at all. But he didn't like that no, at all. No, And, uh... Just thought, oh, oh, oh we're going to get in trouble. But, oh, my gosh, Paul, yeah. I can't believe you just did that. Right. And I was thinking, yeah, I got caught up in it and thought that was exciting. Lucky dentist had a three-run. The only time I ever experienced anything like that was my dad, hard-working man, bless his heart, had gone to sleep early. The Laker-Knicks game, game three in Los Angeles, 1970, finals in the wisdom of the NBA back then, blacked out in your hometown. Yeah, yeah. Sold out at the Forum. Yeah. Can't watch it in your own hometown. Ridiculous. I mean, just the, the television policies through the years are, 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 I suppose, I mean, there was a time people thought radio would kill attendance. You know, yeah. you put the games on the radio, people will stay home. Right, right. And then, oh, my gosh, you can't televise home games. No one will go. Right. So there was a lack of understanding about the power of the various media in those days and what effect it would have. In fact, that just the opposite effect. The games being on radio create more interest. The games being on television do the same, and we got to be there now in person. There may, I'm sure there have been some people and anecdotal evidence over the years. Well, I heard Joe said he's not coming to the game. He's staying home. Why? Even now, we still have that. Yeah, people yeah. say, it's more comfortable. And I get, I think we're in an age now where maybe, maybe now the fears with everything televised all the time. Yeah, yeah. That you, we, it may be happening, some of those fears that people in the 30s and 40s had. But so the game's blacked out in Los Angeles. So I'm listening, as I always am, to the Lakers on the radio with the, the late, great Chick Hearn, and I'm laying in my bed, and Chick called. You, everybody, I think, has probably seen the shot. He got, he got a little out of his lane in terms of the exaggeration of the length of the shot. Jerry West? Yes, West's long shot that's still shown often. Yeah. That he heaved from about 55 to 60 feet. I'm laying in bed. It's late. You know, it's well after 10 o'clock. My dad would fall asleep pretty early. My mom and dad are asleep in the other room down the hall. I'm laying in bed. Bradley, you know, Checky says something. I think it might have been over to Dave, into the low post to Willis Reed, out to Dave DeBusher's Ebony foot jumper. It's good. And the Knicks take the lead, a two point lead with four seconds to play. Wilt inbounds to Jerry West, 80 footer by West. <laughs> good! <laughs> and I, I just, I, you know, I jump out of the bed, you know, <laughs> jump out of the bed and go running through my house. West made an 80 footer. West made an 80 footer. West made an 80 footer. And my dad is just, you know, <laughs> 
What's you wrong? Who do I so, shoot? <laughs> that's my Mr. Lee experience with West making an 80-footer. Turned out to be about 55 or 60 feet. However, it tied the game. Overtime, Knicks win. I make an 80-footer oh. to send it to overtime, and I still lose oh, in the misery no. of the game three. Well, I'll tell you this. If I did what you did and my dad was asleep, <laughs> I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I, well, I would have gotten killed. I'm glad that never happened. But, I mean, that's the <laughs> I mean, I went running, jumping out of my bed. West made an 80-footer. And that meant nothing to my mom. You know, what? <laughs> Come on. My dad kind of got the magnitude of it after a while. Yeah, yeah Dad, no, what, what's wrong? So what? Did he have the talk with you? Like, yeah, well, no, I said, Dad, Dad, the Lakers were down two, and Jerry hit an 80-footer, and we're going to overtime. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. That reminds me of the rifleman, where the little kid <laughs> and then the dad has to, you know, I, I don't know why. I just see that. I, I see that. Wow. We have an hour to go on the show. Steve Tannen will join us at 1230 to talk a little bit about October 3 of 78 and his opposite reaction to West 60-footer in Game 3. Yeah. It worked out well for him. And being a Yankee fan, things have often worked out for him. <laughs> it's easy but, to be a fan of, the, yeah. of a franchise that never loses. But he grew up a huge New York sports fan. The last time we talked to Steve was about the 50th anniversary of the fight of the century, but we'll talk to Steve about some college football and all of that. And October three of 78 at 1230 coming up next after our top of the hour break, a conversation with a guy who does a Husky podcast. It's called fourth and inches about Washington Husky football. And he does some writing on Husky sites and he's a good young man. And I met him before the game and I kind of made the, Hey, win or lose, Trevor Mueller, can you join us on the Joe Beaver Show next week? And I was referring to my own sense of things, win or lose. Well, we won, they lost. He's coming on at 12.05 next on 1240 Joe Radio. Okay, please. Here's the microphone. Is this thing on? This is KEJO Corvallis. Everybody hear me? We're on at 5. And QID. 1240 Joe Radio. I'm Frank Miller with Your Money Now. Well, stocks continue to see some solid gains. The Dow up over 400 points. The Nasdaq and S&P are seeing some strong gains as well. Well, lawmakers on Capitol Hill continue to work on raising the debt ceiling or risk defaulting on October 18th. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell says that Democrats can go it alone without GOP support. He said that Democrats have had plenty of time to lift or extend the debt ceiling and went on to say they didn't need GOP support because they already have control of the White House, Senate and the House. He also went on to criticize the price tag of the proposed spending plans. On the other side of the aisle, moderate and progressive Democrats continue to spar over the inclusion of a social spending bill on top of the $1.5 trillion infrastructure bill. President Biden is in Michigan today promoting the Build Back Better agenda, where he's pushing for passage of the infrastructure bill. Meanwhile, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is warning that the results of defaulting on debt obligations on October 18th would be catastrophic for the economy. And that is Your Money Now. I struggled with symptoms like frequent gas and stomach pain for years. I was bloated all the time with daily diarrhea. At first, I thought it was what I was eating. I kept thinking it was stomach issues. So I did my research and talked to my doctor, and we finally uncovered the truth. It It was was actually EPI. Exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, or EPI, is a condition where your pancreas is unable to help break down your food. 
It can lead to symptoms like diarrhea, gas, bloating, stomach pain, unexplained weight loss, and oily stools. And EPI symptoms can be confused with those of other common digestive conditions like irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's, and celiac disease. So getting to the right diagnosis meant being more open with my doctor about the severity of my symptoms and how often they were happening. But there's good news. EPI is manageable, so don't wait any longer. Use the symptom checker at identifyepi.com and schedule a visit or call with your doctor to ask, Could Could I I have have EPI? Has been serving the area since 1972 and is a proud supporter of schools, clubs, and groups throughout the Mid Valley. Drum says the area's largest selection of radio control cars, boats, airplanes, and helicopters, plus drones, plastic models, model trains, fantasy games, collector cards, and modeling tools, parts, paints, and supplies. Whether you're an experienced modeler or just starting out, Trump's is there to help. Build it, drive it, fly it. Trump's Hobbies in the Timberhill Shopping Center in Corvallis, bringing enjoyment to life. So the wife rolls into the living room. Honey, you need to get off of the couch and get busy on that list of projects I have for you. And I says to her, but I don't have all the equipment. Oh, she rattles off, that's no excuse. You can rent all the tools and equipment you need from Philomath Rental. And since they're open seven days a week, you can go out there today. All right already. Darn you, Philomath Rental. Philomath Rental, behind Landmark Realty, one and a half miles west of the Sunset Shopping Center. Tools and equipment for farm, home, and business. Hi, I'm Dennis Silvers, the golf guru, with another Golf Minute to help make you a much better putter. The less movement you have with your head and body when putting, the better. You can train your head and body to remain still throughout the stroke by practicing with your head either against a wall or a golf cart. Just make sure it's not moving. This position allows you to importantly feel a stroke completely controlled by the arms and shoulders. There should be no motion from the waist down on short putts and your head should stay steady throughout. Feel your forearms controlling the stroke as they swing under your shoulders. At the completion of the stroke, your right palm should face the same direction as the putter head and the wrist have not hinged from their original address position. This keeps your putter face aimed consistently throughout the stroke. So remember, press your head against a wall or cart, not a shopping cart, that would look too weird, to build a reliable putting stroke. For the Golf Minute, I'm Dennis Silvers. Okay, my shipments have to get to customers on time and looking good. It's possible with Staples Connect. Staples Connect has small business shipping covered with premium shipping supplies and UPS shipping services. And now, buy two, get one free on select shipping supplies like Bubble Roll and Avery Labels. Plus, get 20% off UPS Express shipping services. Explore what's new at your local Staples store or staplesconnect.com. Staples Connect, the working and learning store. Ends 1030. Visit staplesconnect.com slash shipping for details. Did you get all the stimulus money for you and your family? Do you have children and didn't know you could receive monthly child tax credit payments? You can claim your monthly child tax credit payments and missing stimulus payments, even if you don't file a traditional tax return. Visit ssa.gov EIP to learn how you can apply online. Get the money your family deserves. Visit ssa.gov EIP. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Sponsored by SSA. Time to enter the Magic Kingdom. Denise, would you kindly clear the wheels? Okay, here we go. On three. One, two. Tweets and texts, faces and books. Tweets and texts and faces and books. Seems like it's more about FM and color TV. In such an age as this, is there any room left for something as simple as radio? We believe there is. Touchdown, Beaver! He's got a chance to go! 
Joe Beaver Show is on the air with Mike Parker and John Warren, two men on a mission to prove that AM radio is a viable and modern source for news and entertainment. So gather the whole family. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. If you don't have one, fret not. I'll have the management send you up a radio. Be a part of the triumphant return of amplitude modulation. This is the big one, boys. This is the one that brings us back. Soon, AM radio will reign king once more. <laughs> it's the Joe Beaver Show on the home of the beavers. Cool, cool. Beat, beat. Kill me! 1240 Joe Radio. This is not, as we move into the second hour, an exercise in Jaden, or is it Schadenfreude? Either way, delighting in other people's miseries. Yes. This isn't the reason that we're bringing Trevor Mueller on from the 4th and Inches Husky podcast. Trevor's been a part of it for over four years now on all major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. He's also been a contributor for two years with Sports Illustrated Washington Husky Maven, contributor uh, to uh, recruiting, uh, recruiting analyst, writer, podcaster, video contributions, as well as uh, to Sports Illustrated, All-American producer of the Noah Dickerson Show on Husky Hoops. That's all part of his passion and love for all things Washington Huskies. He, by day, in his life, an elementary school teacher in Vancouver, a baseball coach in the Skyview High School baseball program, and a young man that I had the pleasure of meeting, shaking hands with, down at my family's tailgate section area before the Beavers Huskies played at Reeser Stadium on Saturday night. And we sort of made a, a pact, win or lose, and depending, of course, there's going to be one or the other for both of us. <laughs> we would get together this week on the Joe Beaver Show to rehash it and talk about it a little bit. And so, as some of you may recall, the Beavers won 27 to 24. So it is, I'm sure, with a certain degree of heaviness that a longtime Husky fan and Trevor Mueller, who does a podcast on Husky sports and football in particular, fourth and inches, joins us today. But that's the context for it here on the Joe Beaver Show. Trevor, good afternoon. Thanks for being a good sport about all of this. Welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. My, thanks for having me, guys. And, uh, you know, this is my third time in Corvallis. Obviously, you mentioned I'm from Vancouver, so... This is closer to the home game almost than uh, Seattle for me. So always had a blast there at Reeser, and it was great to meet you. Thank you, Trevor. Tell us a little bit of how you came by your huskiness. What, what's your background with Washington? So, you know, I actually grew up uh, in a place called Whidbey Island, Washington, where uh, I, I was in a place called Coopville, which is really uh, agricultural. So actually I grew up in kind of cougar country on the west side. Um, but my dad was a big Washington fan because of some uh, shows that were on when he was becoming a football fan back in the 60s and 70s um, with some, some like, uh, film study. Uh, and when Don James took over, uh, he, he really became a fan and passed it down to me. Gotcha. Well, that's, that's understandable to be sure. But you've taken it more than just being a fan. Tell us about kind of the origins of getting into the social media world and the platform with fourth and inches and, and how that began and how it's been going these last four years. So it started with uh, a friend of mine, Jake Grant, who we would talk Husky football all the time with lots of people. And, and they always felt like uh, we should maybe 
think about doing broadcasting that so people could come into our conversation. And it really started with a relationship. And so we try to keep that relationship with our listeners going where we try to interact with them as much as possible. And it's just grown from, you know, maybe 20 listeners to, uh, to where we're at now, where we ended up joining up with sports illustrated and really the sky's been the limit. We've grown our family. Now we have Kayla Olin on, who's also a contributor to sports illustrated and Mike Martin. We've gone from just doing an audio podcast to video picks shows and it's really just grown from there good for you trevor mueller joining us we'll get more on that in a moment and kind of what's going on in your world but just a little bit more about you then you when did you sort of come of age yourself as a fan with husky football you've given us your dad's background probably uh, with jim owens and some good teams in the 60s then into the 70s and the don james era when did you quote unquote come of age with washington football you know, like a lot of high school kids, my world was pretty much my own. I didn't really look outside of myself a ton. So it wasn't until I got to college, and really it was the 2007-2008 season, where I really started following this team game in and game out, learning the guys that came before me, now getting to rub elbows with them from sometimes, but really focusing around the end of that dark Willingham era to um, – uh, Steve Sarkeesian, and then obviously Chris Peterson and Jimmy Lake now. How much do you know about and study and, 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 I don't know, just read up on what happened before your time? Because you're talking to a couple of guys here who remember, I remember when Lincoln Kennedy played. I remember before Lincoln Kennedy played for the Washington Huskies. I went to a, a Husky-USC game in 1980 when Marcus Allen ran all over the place. <laughs> what, what do you do you dive into any of the history or is it from your time period forward? So a, a lot of it, I'd love to go back and I, I've been, I've been able to meet a bunch of old, uh, older Huskies who played. Uh, I had the privilege of getting to meet Michael Jackson, who literally tackled everybody in the world back in his time and, uh, getting to hear the stories of these guys that played before I was alive, getting to hear my dad talk about these guys. I do know quite a bit about the older generation, um, even before that magical 1991 season, back to the 84 and even before that. If you answer yes to this, then I, then all, then I know you've done your deep homework. Are you familiar with Hugh McElhaney? Of course. Okay. That, that's all. We don't need to go any further than that, but you, <laughs> you go back enough to know him, probably Don Heinrich as well. And, and some really uh-huh. storied teams in Washington history, but let's kind of jump ahead now to what we just saw. I'm curious to know on the podcast, is it interactive? Do you respond to fans? Do they comment? Do you write back? Do you have an interactive element or do you leave that to softy and the Husky honks? So we don't have uh, an element where they can um, call into the podcast or anything like that, but we'll take questions. Kayla and I will, and we'll write them into our show notes give them credit for their question and then read it there on, on the podcast for everybody. So what was your and Kayla's immediate re- Was Kayla also at the game or was she, he, I don't know who Kayla is. Are we talking about a she, a he here? I'm not sure, but oh, were, yeah. were you yeah, yeah. So, Kay- together? Yeah. Kayla, uh, we were actually not. So Kayla Olin, she graduated from the university of Washington, uh, four or five years ago. She's, uh, been with sports illustrated, and um, Husky Media pretty much since her graduation. She was actually there with Kyler Gordon's mom, um, and okay. we were on the other side of the field with um, Matt, my uh, 
my sister-in-law's boyfriend who works there at Oregon State. Yes. And so we met at halftime to, um, to uh, actually, it was the first time Kayla got to meet my wife, so that was pretty cool as well. But, yes, no, she was on the Washington side. I was on the Oregon State side. So let's just go to the game now. <laughs> okay. You, you, what did you make of it as it played out? And then I see your latest podcast as taking another look at the Washington-Oregon State game. So you've taken a, the look at it live in person. You've broken it down, taking, quote, another look at it. What are your thoughts about that game? You know, if I were to get in a time machine and go back to my my past self, uh, let's say Friday afternoon, and say that Washington was able to finally have a 100-yard rusher, both running backs would uh, eclipse the 100-yard mark in total offense, and Chance Nolan would have less than 50 yards, I'm putting that as a Washington victory. Uh, but watching the game, um, you saw Oregon State not only have good field position due to some ineptitude by the Washington offense, but you also saw Oregon State able to finally wear down that Washington front line and start making some bigger holes for B.J. Baylor and company to uh, really ice that game away. Yeah, they did. They were able to take control. Did you get a feeling that it's one of the better lines, offensive lines, that you've seen in the conference so far uh, this year? You know, it's, it's really interesting because Washington has had a really hard time stopping the run, and that's sort of by design with how Jimmy Lake and Bob Gregory, the defensive coordinator, have set up Washington's defense by keeping their safeties back to limiting the, uh, the, the air attack by the program. This is the second time that Washington has allowed less than 50 yards and lost. Um, but what I saw from this Beaver offensive line was um, consistency. They were consistently in the same spot. Uh, Washington's defensive linemen, the top three who you saw a lot of, Tulilo Tuagasanoa, Sam Taimani, and Fatu Atuatele. When they, those three were in there together, Oregon State struggled. Mm-hmm. But their experience and um, the, their scheme, when you saw some of those younger guys, who I think will be stars, but you know we're talking true freshmen, Kualpehopa and Voy Tanufi, uh, they were able to maybe take advantage a little bit mm-hmm. in that sense. I think the coaching, the development of Oregon State's offensive line is, uh, is, is really spectacular. Trevor Mueller, one of the founders and hosts on the 4th and Inches uh, Husky podcast on Washington Husky football, joining us on the Joe Beaver Show and a teacher and a baseball coach, Skyview in Vancouver, USA. Trevor, what is the, how, how critical do you get in your podcast when talking about, for example, decisions made or the, the much maligned, it seems, in your world, Offensive coordinator John Donovan, were you better with Donovan and getting the running game going? How did you feel about all of that? Is John or Jimmy, are they under some serious heat? And how do you handle things like that on your podcast? So, you know, I, I, the way that I try to think about it is these guys get paid a lot of money to do something that um, I do for very little money or for free, right? So <laughs> they obviously know more than me. They've studied this. But when, what I do understand is systems. And when the system continues to churn out less than um, desirable products, that's when the issues start coming up. Because if you look at the 24 points Washington scored, one of the first issues you have is 14 of those points 
came within what a minute of each other. Mm-hmm. Seventeen um, seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So th- that's a problem. Um, so we've. I-, I always try to keep it positive. I-, I I love being positive about things, but there there has to be an element of criticism when you know you you're a parent. You've done this before. You got to criticize the things you love at some point. And I think that there's a point where you see the result, you see what's going on, you see the development. And then, I mean, honestly, what you're talking about with the offensive line, where you have uh, the Beaver offensive line doing really well uh, with maybe not the, uh, the, the star quantity that you'd see on Washington's offensive line. Granted, offense, the offensive line probably had their best game, but based on what Jimmy Lake told us, special years, one of the best position groups in the country, to then have the offensive output that, that has been given by this offense, there's an issue. Um, so I, I feel uncomfortable calling for people's heads, um, but I know that the system is not working the way that uh, it was designed. So what was your reaction, or what was reaction from listeners and just you know your observations of Husky fan after that game? Um, it's just frustration. I mean, um, there's, uh, there was another radio host that said that not all fourth and ones are created equal. And, um, so there's, of course, there's going to be some, some anger around that, but I think Husky fans in general, Husky nation is, is, is very concerned about the offensive output and frankly, uh, defensively as well. There's starting to be maybe a little bit of question marks around some of the hires and some of the schemes that this, uh, Washington program has been putting out. So, uh, the reaction has been negative. Trevor Mueller joining us, uh, host of the 4th and Inches of Washington Husky football podcast. Check it out. It, it's available uh, wherever you find your podcast and has a huge following. Trevor, what was your thought, not after the fact, 4th and 1, what were you saying and thinking at the time on that play, which was essentially the play of the game? Not getting the first down and giving the Beavers the ball in that position Spell defeat, obviously, as we know now. But what were you saying in the moment? Um, in the moment, it was stay aggressive. Oregon State had not been able to stop Washington's run attack. Uh, it was six, four to six yards of play. So uh, keep going to that. Uh, I, I didn't love the sneak up the middle, but I really I, I thought that um, being aggressive on that was the right call. Okay. Now, it, I've heard, and it, I I never saw it. I saw it in real time. I saw the official running in on the spot. I've seen it on television. Does Jimmy Lake think, do Husky fans think, that Morris actually did get the first down on that sneak? I said on the air in live play-by-play, Morris sneaks it up the middle, maybe with second effort he might have gotten there, but no, you know, that type of thing. So I thought it was closer than maybe it finally came out. How did you feel about whether or not he made the, the line to gain? So as soon as I saw it go, when he was stood up, I, I was probably similar to what you said, maybe on second effort, but um, I didn't think he got it from my vantage point. And, I, and, you know, I was kind of, he was going towards me and, and it still didn't look like he got the push he needed to get that yard plus. And so I thought it was the right call. Maybe the spot was a little Oregon State friendly, but still I don't think the tip of the ball is going past the chains. <laughs> I saw I didn't think he got it, and then when the officials ran in when they did, and I knew he didn't get it. And Over I thought, a foot. Yeah, yeah, but if if there was any... Here we go. Here place, we go. Placement controversy, 
Trevor, you got to think back to two spots a year ago that Oregon <laughs> State fan can be exercised about. <laughs> you, you know, it's it's funny you brought that up because Oregon State finally, you know, they it's been a nine-year winning streak for Washington, and really the argument could be made, and as long as you're not a Washington homer, you should listen to it, that uh, Oregon State really got jobbed on that spot in 2020. Yeah. And when you guys, Oregon State was driving, it looked like they were going to be able to score that touchdown. And yeah, uh, we've seen what the offense can do. And uh, I, I think probably Oregon State comes out of an empty Husky Stadium with a win. Uh, I think you're right, and I appreciate you putting it that way, Trevor. Last couple of things with Trevor Mueller joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. The uh, the Jonathan Smith era here. I'm wondering how in your years. You know, you've been doing this for four, so you were kind of at the tail end when you began to go into this world, but you were a big Husky fan as Jonathan was uh, the O coordinator, CFP in 2016, amazing year for Jake Browning, whom he worked with, and Jake speaks so highly of everything Jonathan taught him and helped him for you guys to go 12-2 and two and, and get to the CFP in 16. And yet coordinators such as Donovan now and coordinators everywhere are always, it seems, under a certain amount of fire. How did you regard Jonathan as a coordinator during his era? I think Jonathan Smith, looking back, and even in that time, um, he was such a good developer of the talent. He was he was good with his scheme. I thought Chris Peterson and him together, that tandem made an innovative offense uh, that really highlighted some of the special talent that was on that team, especially on the outside with those receivers, Dante Pettis and John Ross. But then also uh, the blocking schemes that came with it that allowed Miles Gaskin to be so successful. And, of course, like you were saying, offensive coordinator is probably the biggest job in America that you have 100,000 armchair quarterbacks, right? <laughs> so there's always people that are going to be upset with some of the products that you see. But I thought the schemes for him, the development, uh, were, were the best Washington has seen in that Chris Peterson, Jimmy Lake era. And um, you'd ask any Husky fan now, and they would take Jonathan Smith back 100 times out of 100. Speaking of Chris Peterson, you know, with this USC opening and, and lots of talk about that, I thought I heard, I can't remember who it was, might have been Petros, someone saying they knew why Chris Peterson left uh, and, and just got out of it completely because he didn't like how much the, the donors had had power and were, were basically telling him everything he needed to do. Are you locked in enough to confirm that or or not? Um, I think that there's definitely, I, I couldn't confirm that, but what reading between the lines of stuff he said during, during that final season he was there and then after, um, the direction that college football was going with the NIL, um, with the uh, the spotlight being brighter, you know, in Washington than it is in Boise, and how much brighter it would be in USC. I think that that wasn't why he got into coaching, and that burnt him out. And so now he's focusing more on really the the biggest strength of Chris Peterson outside of being a fantastic football coach is a fantastic leader. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this was a perfect segue for him to get out before college football evolves into something that maybe he's not comfortable doing. That's a great answer, and I think you're right. Final thing, Trevor, and that is, 
You've talked about youth on the team. You know, it's it's inevitable that on the Husky Honks, which I've heard their podcast afterwards, somebody sent me the whole show. And you have callers, yeah. not surprisingly, Fire Donovan, Fire Lake, Fire Jen Cohen. Yeah, I mean that, that the losses that you've experienced this year at home to Montana and out of the Beavers, and you know, people saying for oh, for God's sake, they're saying we lose to Montana and Oregon State in the same year. This isn't working clearly. We got to move on. We don't want to go back to the dark days that you alluded to in 0 and 12. How do you feel about that whole line of thinking? Are they young enough and talented enough that you don't worry about that, or do you and a lot of other Husky fans have concerns that? This is trending so poorly that you you fear a return to bad days. It's definitely something that's been more on the table, and I think that with some of the preseason hype that Jimmy Lake himself put on this team, this is going to be a special year. We have some of the most talented people. Our offensive line should be one of the best in the country. The shock of losing to Montana and then being totally outclassed in every way in Michigan Mm -hmm. and then coming down and not being able to put a passing game together. It was almost no vertical passing game with um, Dylan Morris, you take away the 44-yard touchdown, mm-hmm. uh, he's about he's right around 100 yards passing for the day. Um, I think that there's definitely some major issues, and if they can't figure out how to either put these players in the correct schemes to allow them to show off their talent or develop them correctly, that could be uh, signs of you know maybe regression. Uh, and then um, we've seen Washington maybe take a step back in the recruiting when it comes to stars. I'm not as on that train yet because I've, I really liked the 2020 class, or I'm, excuse me, the 2021 mm-hmm. class because of some of the guys that they uh, maybe were considered three stars but are high three stars that I think could be really good players for this program. Um, it's going to come down to development, and uh, I'm not as – uh, confident as maybe I was going into this season. Yeah, that's again very well said, Trevor. And it was a a pleasure to meet you and to get to know you kind of in a roundabout way through Matt. <laughs> He's been fun to get to know. I've yeah. just met him in the last few weeks, so it was a pleasure to meet you, shake hands with you, and visit with you before the game on Saturday. And I've enjoyed our conversation here today, and hope we can stay in touch in the ensuing seasons. <laughs> Thanks for taking time for us, uh, Trevor. It's been a, a real pleasure to meet you and visit with you. Mike, same with you. Thank you so much. I'll be back anytime. Thanks a lot. Trevor Mueller, the host of Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast. We made an agreement. Whether the Beavers win or lose, whatever, let's talk next week. And we've talked, and I like the young man. I like his perspective. What, what, do, what, did you just stop at a, at a, a tailgate? I waylaid him. So I Husky jersey. Hey, you, you, are you a Husky fan? I want you. No, I mean, we, we, we've got to get a break. Steve Tannen <laughs> will be calling us here in a moment to talk October 3, 1978, as well as the past weekends for the two schools within the Beaver State and other things. Steve will join us next minute. I just met Trevor through a, a person I just mm-hmm. met in the last few weeks and learned from this friend, Matt, that I've got a friend, brother-in-law, who hosts a Husky podcast. You want to, you know, and he gave me his number and sure. There we go. What do you got? You got something? Or are we just no, going to take a break? Oh, I, th- I thought you might have had Yaz's knees buckling. 1240 <laughs> Joe Radio. Shrimp has joined the Flavor Fam at Qdoba Mexican Eats with new citrus lime shrimp. Create your own crave-worthy burrito or bowl with our sustainably sourced shrimp that's sautéed in-house and topped with whatever your flavor-loving heart desires. Or try new chef-crafted surf and turf bowl made with citrus lime shrimp, grilled steak, chili crema, and guacamole. 
Get it while you can, only at Qdoba. Qdoba Mexican Eats. Customizable burritos, crave-worthy tacos, and three-cheese queso. Qdoba is on Monroe in Corvallis. It's Medicare open enrollment time. See the Medicare specialists at Rhodes Warden Insurance Agency. Look at all the 2022 plan choices, including prescription drug plans and Medicare Advantage. This is your time to see if you can find a lower premium and extra benefits. Open enrollment starts October 15th and ends December 7th. Call now to make an appointment. Since 1961, Rhodes Warden Insurance Agency, Lebanon, Albany, and Staten, or RhodesWardenINS.com. Master the Mealtime Rush with a refrigerator that helps you cut down on clutter. The Whirlpool four-door refrigerator keeps groceries in sight and easy to find. From easy-reach shelves to a flexible ice bin, see how the four sleek compartments help keep ingredients organized so that you can get dinner on the table. Visit Kellenberger Appliance to learn more. Kellenberger Appliance, 21 Main Street, Lebanon. Serving all our appliance needs since 1918. Visit Kellenberger Appliance today. Stargazer Premier Florist in Corvallis knows that a meaningful gift can brighten someone's day and have them feel appreciated, especially during these unprecedented times. Stargazer Premier provides contactless deliveries with a focus on keeping families and friends connected and safe. Choose from Stargazer Premier Florist's wide selection of fresh floral arrangements, bountiful bouquets, gift baskets, and houseplants. Stop in, call, or view Stargazer's selection online at StargazerPremierFlorist.com. Stargazer Premier Florist, 925 Northwest Circle Boulevard in Corvallis. Kraken Cards in downtown Corvallis carries sports cards, Pokemon cards, MTG cards, board games, collectibles, card sleeves, playmats, and more. Have you been to Kraken Cards yet? If you're into sports cards and games, Kraken Cards is for you. Kraken Cards' knowledgeable staff can help you find what you're looking for and at fair market value. And for you Oregon State fans, Kraken Cards has a dedicated Oregon State alumni box to browse. Kraken Cards, 114 Southwest 3rd, downtown Corvallis. Kraken Cards, your connection to everything fun. 1240, 1240, 1240, 1240, 1240, Joe Radio. That would be 1240, Joe Radio. Mike Parker, John Warren, nice message on Kraken Cards, which with our next guest, we could ask him about sports card collecting and what whether he did it and engaged in it. I, the answer's got to be card he's got. yes. Whether he still does, I don't know. But if Cannon grew up in the same age we did, uh-huh. and baseball cards were life. Yeah. I mean, they just were. So that's... One of the reasons that I so enjoy listening to Steve, as I said earlier in the show, almost every day, 95.3, the score, 3 to 6 in the afternoons, driving around here in the Mid-Valley, strong signal. Enjoy his knowledge, his passion, his love for sports and life. He's just a fun listen. And, and today, thinking about the Yankees and Red Sox playing an elimination game, got me thinking about the only other time it happened other than Game 7 in 2004. Sorry about that, Steve. But <laughs> but in October 3rd of 1978, considered by some, and I read from Thomas Boswell earlier his eloquent essay on, quote, the greatest game ever played, unquote. An amazing game in the history of baseball. John, you've already shared your experience about it being in a classroom in Lake Oswego as a middle school kid. I think our friend Steve Tannen, if if I understand Steve correctly, thanks for joining us today. But you were a student, but skipped. That's how important that day was, huh? 
Yeah. Well, first of all, um, I don't care how much I like you guys or what you offer. Nobody's getting my Reggie Jackson rookie card. That is my prize possession. Good for you. Did you just get that, uh, Steve, and just random collecting? I mean, uh, going to whatever your favorite store was, buying a pack, and there it was, or did you seek it out? No, um, to date, all of us used to take our bikes down to the five and dime <laughs> and, uh, you know, pick up a wiffle ball by a Sunday and get a pack of baseball cards and just collected it. I never sought out a card. Every one I have is the tops between 1967 and about 1974 that I collected them all just spur of the moment luck. I've got my maze, my Clemente, um, and Reggie, I got Reggie's rookie card, and that's my prize possession. But did you know that it, it was a prize possession? I mean, you, you got his rookie card probably when he was a rookie in the real deal, just buying a pack of cards, and there's his rookie card. Have you held on to it, preserved it, kept it pristine, or did you play with it and stack it and do all those things that we did as kids? No. Actually, when I was about 12 or 13, my mom got me a gift. It's like a, a big plastic green dugout and it had a slot for each team's card mm -hmm. so i kept him in that forever and then once i got to get into my 20s somebody said go to this place get the plastic seals and i've kept them like that so they're all in really good condition and i've had them literally like you said i didn't get it years later i got it that year when his rookie card came out steve tannen joining us October 3 of 78. I mean, I want to get into some college football here in a moment, but it, because I hear the passion and you, you deal primarily with an Oregon fan base that calls and shares thoughts and reflects and you work on pre- and post-game shows. So we'll get into that for a moment, your thoughts about the Beavers 2-0 start as well. But tell us a little bit about that whole year, first of all, the 78 season with the, the Red Sox having, I believe it was as high as a 14-and-a-half game lead and didn't win the pennant. Unbelievable. What do you Just take us through that season from your where, how old you were and how you took in that season and then the final game. Yeah, so um, they signed Reggie Jackson the year before, 77. And, you know, historically, they won the East. They beat the Royals. They beat the Dodgers. He hit the three home runs. He was the MVP. And they were big favorites to win again. There were some injuries, and the Red Sox were playing out of their minds. So summer comes, and it's in the middle of July, and we used to have an outdoor pool, and we'd have people over. And I used to get yelled at by my dad sometimes, even though he was a fan. He's like, I didn't spend five grand on a pool for you to be sitting in here watching the Yankees, especially <laughs> when they stink. <laughs> and so walk out there, and that night – on the news, it was a Sunday when they fell either 14 or 14 and a half back when Yogi got angry and said his famous line, it ain't over till it's over. You know, a lot of the stuff he said kind of missed. No, I, we saw him say that, and they started to make their move, and it was just like, this really isn't going to happen, is it? And then, I don't know how well-schooled everybody is, the first week of September, the Yankees went to Fenway down four, and they swept them. It's referred to as the Boston <laughs> Massacre. They beat them 15-3, 13 7-0, 7-4, and their lead was gone, and it was tied. And uh, we obviously somebody like me, I was 17, about to turn 18 on October 4th, 
just I was completely out of my mind to say the least. <laughs> so okay, that's a good background to the day itself. So it comes down to after that amazing comeback. You now the Red Sox, to their credit, needed I think to win their last seven to stay alive, and they did. And you guys get a one-game playoff at Fenway on October three of seventy-eight, a Monday afternoon. What happened in your life? Yeah, so uh, I was attending a place called Montclair State College, and to date us again, there was a payphone outside my room, which rang, and I got the bang, bang, bang. Steve, call. And I get it, and it's my dad. He's like, I'm going into the office, but I'm leaving early. Meet me at the house. We're going to watch the game. And just the game itself, if you want irony, history, uh, foreshadowing, it was just so loaded because... When you think of greed and the evil empire and who gets all the free agents, the Yankees. But the starter for Boston that day was Mike Torres, who left the Yankees as a free agent that winter after he pitched them to the championship. He was a guy who started and threw the complete game in game six against the Dodgers, the previous World Series. So there, there was a lot going on, you guys. Yeah, wow. Now that's something. I, that's a yeah. Story so that, I, I mean, yeah, you forget it because Reggie hit three, right? I mean, you don't you don't remember the other side. <laughs> yeah. But so Steve. So anyway, you and your dad watched the game, and you're right. It's full of. I mean, you've probably read some of the books and essays. Books and essays have been written about that game. It was so great, right? Oh, absolutely. And there's another kind of connection because when you think of the Red Sox and from 1946 and 67 and 78 and 86 and all the misery, but you can tie in from the playoff game to game six in 86 because Torres gives up the three-run homer to Bucky Dent, puts the Yankees up 3-2. But then they go to Bob Stanley comes out of the bullpen gives up a ribby double to Munson, and Reggie in the eighth inning hits a moonshot to make it 5-2, which they needed because it ended up 5-4. And, of course, it was Bob Stanley, eight years later, who came on in relief of Calvin Schiraldi to face Mookie Wilson, throws the wild pitch, and gives up the little roller behind the bag that got through Buckner. So, like I said, that game, the history, the irony is just endless. Steve Tannen joining us, 95-3, the score, 3-6, to six, Monday through Friday uh, in Eugene. Does a great job on the show, and the last time we talked to Steve was a year ago on the 50th anniversary of the fight of the century and his experiences with that. So, Steve, we really appreciate the perspective on this. What, you know, Yaz had homered early off Louisiana Lightning and Gidry to give the Red Sox an early lead, so the Red Sox took that 2 to nothing lead into the the seventh and Torres was pitching well, but what Boswell Thomas Boswell the great writer wrote so much heaviness in the game so much on the line that there was just a, an eerie silence throughout Fenway Park all game long a Red Sox fan sort of sensing the impending doom <laughs> I don't know how you felt about it as a Yankee fan watching but that's how Boswell described it that's unbelievable you know I my my grandkids, my uh, kids, my wife now could tell when I'm tense. If I'm watching a game I, I, and it gets to that part, 
I stand four feet in front of the TV, arms folded. And that's me at age 60. Same thing back then. I watched the last three innings standing four feet away from our old RCA, arms folded, not being able to move or breathe. Because there was a sense, like, we came all this way. And you know, when I say we, back then the Yankees were like family. Um, and the, the fact that it was going to end to the Red Sox and Mike Torres, no, I, I couldn't live like that. Yeah, and the Red Sox, and I'll leave it on the game, and then I want to shift over to 2021 and this past weekend in college football. We'll get to that in a moment. But what Boswell writes about, what I remember watching the game, but it's been celebrated ever since, Lou Pinella's genius to deke the Red Sox essentially saved the pennant, right? You you remember watching those plays, and they've been analyzed a lot, but how he totally lost a ball that Jerry Remy hit but didn't let the Red Sox know that, and it's a thing of brilliance. No, he stood there with the sun in his eyes and kind of like, uh, I don't know, if a receiver has a, a defensive back turned around or a hidden ball trick, and in essence, he'll be the first one to admit it said, I stuck my glove out and the ball landed in there. Otherwise, that gets through and the floodgates could be open. And it's a very, very, very different conversation. Yeah, Brilliant work on Lou's part. You end up, Yaz comes to the plate. The winning runs on base, a base hit, and the Red Sox win the pennant. Gossage against Yaz with the pennant on the line. I mean, you don't script it any better than that, do you? No, and he pops it up to third, and Nettles, just, you know, a great glove, catches it on his left shoulder, squeezes it, and um, obviously the, the mayhem and the bedlam uh, that ensued with uh, me and my dad in my den was matched only by the Yankee dugout. <laughs> yeah, uh, unbelievable experience and day. Thank you for looking back at that, Steve. One other thing before we shift to football. The last time you were on with us a year ago, when we were talking about March 8th of 71 and the 50th anniversary of uh, the fight of the century. Uh, Ken Burns, the non-pareil when it comes to documentaries, has made, made a documentary on Muhammad Ali. I've not seen it all. I don't think you have either based on our previous conversation, but you've seen enough to know it's pretty darn good, huh? Yeah, um, first of all, what fascinates me is the same story you think could be told again and again and again. And Ken Burns found, found a new angle. He found video and photographs and newspaper articles. Mike, I've never seen any of this before. I found myself hitting pause and rewind like, wait a minute, I never saw that picture. Wait a minute, I didn't realize that they did a favor by letting Larry Holmes be a sparring partner. And just on and on and on, it's the, the research, the in-depth information, and the, the, the surfacing of stuff that you know, like you said, I joined you last year to talk about a half century ago, and yet it was kind of a revelation, all of the new information that yeah. came to light. It, it, it's fantastic. Yeah, it really is. How long ago, would, and what platform do you find that on? PBS. It's on uh, PBS. Okay. I'm sure you could... Uh, it's YouTube. Uh, but... You know, I, I have Xfinity, so on demand it. Yeah. So you saw that after last year when we were talking about all this and all this new, new stuff came to light, right? Oh, yeah. No, this is in the, in the last 
two or three weeks yes. I've seen this documentary, and I just jaw agape. It's like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Where'd they get that picture from? It's just off the charts unique. Did it just add to the, the mystique and, and the legend and lore? Did it change your view on anything? It didn't change my view. I would say it more enhanced it mm-hmm. because uh, my opinion of Ali when I was younger, I just loved him because he was, you know, a, uh, just a, an incredible character and a great boxer. Then I came to admire the man. And so all of that, I was, in, in essence, John, I just was given more reason yeah. to feel the way I do. Yeah. Last couple of things with Steve Tannen. He'll have his own show, as always, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6, 95-3, the score out of Eugene. Steve, you know, every weekend produces, just as October 3 of 78 produced more misery for the poor New Englanders and the Bo Sox fans. This past Saturday, not nearly as momentous in the overall scheme, but the Beavers beat the Huskies on a last-second field goal on a day that Oregon had once again run into its nemesis on the farm in Stanford and lost. What do you make right now? Of the Pac-12 North, uh, what Oregon just went through, what the Beavers are doing. You know, I was joking around with John before I came on, and I was like, has the fundraising begun? Are are they erecting the statue of Jonathan (laughs) Smith yet anywhere in Corvallis? Because I'll tell you, I, I remember the conversations here. I remember talking with everybody after Gary Anderson left in 2017. I mean, it was a it was a dumpster fire. The next year, would they win one conference game yeah, yes. to get to get them to where they are now that quickly at this level when it's so cutthroat in recruiting and everything, and just the steady progress. Even though last year, compared to 2019, where if they would have beaten Washington State, they would have made a bowl game, you know, with COVID. But you just look at the roster, and it's like. From 2017 and 18, it's like these guys are all Pac-12 players. There's talent out there, and uh, to, to have a guy like that, you know, favorite son gone home. I mean, I know regionally and locally we all get it. Hopefully, this catches on nationally because man, this has a 30 for 30 riddle over it. Well, and he's done it through the transfer portal because the guys like Avery Roberts, this week's Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week, they yeah, they were four-star athletes. But they went somewhere else first, and he managed to get him here, even with a couple players and injuries. It take, took a couple of years to get on the field. But he's, he's mastering the transfer portal. Yeah, not only that, but I, I really I like the way the offensive line has come around. I mean, when they needed to last game after they made that fourth down hold, I mean, they just ran, 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 ran until they kicked the winning field goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's Mahalchuk is just that, that guy may not get the proper credit he deserves as one of the best in the business. Steve, and finally, you know, in your world, how. You know, at times, all of us in t- in the talk show world, I almost feel like we sit in chairs trying to trying to maintain a, an even keel no matter what may unfold. What was kind of the response in your fan base and your world to losing to Stanford and kind of the, the things you, your fans and your fan base, 95-3, the score and so on, and the pre- and post-game stuff dealing with now, and how are you kind of looking at the Oregon situation? Well, much like the 2004 American League Championship Series, <laughs> I've blocked it out and refused to discuss it. No. Right, I got you. I'm sorry that I alluded to it, but here we go. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the thing is, I, they were viewed after Ohio State as a playoff team. 
and there's a chance. I mean, the rule is pretty much play in a Power 5 league, win all your games, punch your ticket to the playoffs. But they have just really been decimated by injuries. I also think they've been inconsistent in their play, especially at quarterback. And going into that game to find out that Joe Moorhead, their offensive coordinator, is not going to be there on, like, no notice. And then one of their best uh, young defensive back, Triquas Bridges, gets targeted, kicked out on the first play. And, down, and, and yet they were still able to rally seemingly had control of the game or on the march were a first down away from victory formation when all of a sudden Travis Dye, his helmet comes off, they stop play, they come back, they have two straight false starts, so now it's first and 20, and rather than force Stanford to burn all their timeouts, I thought they made a tactical error. They ran on first down through incomplete on second down to stop the clock, and then the defense just let down and allowed Stanford to march 87 yards, aided by some really, really questionable calls. I saw Jeff Schwartz on uh, Fox or somewhere getting really, really exercised about <laughs> what just get the quarterback is terrible. Put in the five star, <laughs> the five star freshman. What do you think? That's a, and I'm kind of surprised because uh, Jeff is. I think he let his emotions get the best of him right. because of how Oregon kind of let Fresno State hang around, let Stony Brook hang around, let Arizona hang around have not really had ample opportunity to see Ty Thompson in actual game situations. So to just think, well, throw the five-star in there, he'll be fine in the Pac-12, that's not realistic. But uh, Anthony Brown has moments, and on uh, one of the big touchdown drives, you saw the experience, you saw the poise, he ran it in, but in a situation like that, a guy who's been playing at the college level for six years, even if they allow him the option of throwing, if it's not a wide open for sure completion, you got to take a knee or slide. You can't stop the clock. Yeah. Almost unforgivable. Yeah. Hey, Steve, uh, we really appreciate, as always, uh, the perspective, the life experiences, and the knowledge, the passion that you bring. Maybe, who knows? I mean, we saw one game for the ages back in 2009 in Watson, where the granddaddy was on the line for the, I mean, it was clear cut, cut and dry. The only time ever that that took place. It's possible. I think it's possible what the Beavers are doing. It's a one week at a time proposition, but do you have any sense that it's possible that the rivalry game this year could be for the PAC 12 North? I mean, right now it looks like it has a chance to be. Yeah, well, if each keeps doing their own job, or even more so if the conference continues, continues to eat its own, I mean, they could be playing for the conference title, each with maybe two losses in conference. But um, the, the, the story was Oregon. Right now, I really think in this conference, it's Oregon State. And I don't have to tell you guys, it's probably second, third, and 50th guessing. What if you start Chance Nolan at Purdue? Where do they sit now? <laughs> well... Yeah. well. He's coming off 48 yards against the Huskies, so who knows about that? We'll see how he and, and everybody bounces back. Sounds like a buy's probably coming at a good time down there for you guys. Steve, sure. it's, it's great talking to you, as always, about all of these matters. And I, I'll close with this. I ran through the house when Jerry West hit what uh, 
Chick Hearn described as an 80-footer in Game 3 of the NBA Finals, and you guys still come back and beat me. It was about a 63-footer, 55-60 to 60, that Jerry hit, and you still beat me that night in the forum. I've never gotten over that. Yeah, and remember, if that shot takes place 17 years later, it's a three-pointer <laughs> ball game. That's right. That's true. That's true. Hey, Steve, great talking to you. Thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Appreciate you, you guys a lot. Be well. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Steve. Steve Tannen, our guest. We're going to take a final break yeah, and come yeah. back with a call on the Downward Dog phone line on 1240 Joe Radio. Unified Insurance Group is your local independent insurance agency in Corvallis. They represent numerous insurance companies and specialize in auto, home, and business insurance. See Mike Eves, Taylor Starr, and Tom Worth. They'll help find an insurance plan that works best for you. If you're looking for auto, home, or business insurance, see the Unified Insurance Group, 320 Southwest 3rd Street in downtown Corvallis. They're your hometown team, always putting you first. Luxury Vinyl Plank Flooring is really popular right now, and Corvallis Floor Covering carries several different brands. LVP Flooring is waterproof, durable, very affordable, and mimics the look and texture of real wood. Window coverings are an easy way to update a room, and Corvallis Floor Covering has new fashion looks by Hunter Douglas and Norman Window Fashions. Stop by and browse through their large showroom. They're at the corner of 2nd and Van Buren downtown, or log on to CorvallisFloorCovering.com. Shop local, shop Corvallis Floor Covering, and go Beeves! Here at locally owned and operated Alirica Networks, we use the same service you do, so you can be rest assured that you're getting the very best internet service, whether for home, business, or enterprise. At Alirica, we make sure that each of our valued customers gets the plan that best fits their needs. So whether you require basic service or faster speeds for gaming or HD video streaming, we will make sure to match you with the plan that works best for your home or business. Alirica Networks always goes the extra mile. Give us a call or find out more at Alirica.net. Dave's Performance Hybrids is the Willamette Valley's Prius experts and your Toyota dealer alternative. Dave's Performance Hybrids specializes in Prius sales, Prius service, and Prius batteries, but also services all other Japanese brand cars, trucks, and SUVs. Get peace of mind before you hit the road with Dave's Guardian Full Vehicle Inspection Report so you know about possible failures before they occur. With over 120 years of experience under one roof, you'll get expert service every time. Off I-5 and Highway 20 in Albany, online at davesperformancehybrids.com. Twelve. What kind of decisions are now, they expecting like to, us to make? Start falling the crack, and that's a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> I saw him playing an exhibition or all preseason game in Everett on TV. Let's go to John to close things out on the Downward Dog phone line. John, good afternoon. Good afternoon, guys. How you doing? Doing good. well, thank you. Good. I heard you talking about the the military, so I went kind of wanted to end with two, one sports and one. Military, you know, there's we've got to keep those men like your uh, father, Mike. We got to keep their memories uh, alive. It reminded me of a a neighbor that I had across the street growing up. That uh, you know, you can't appreciate as much when you're a kid. But he was actually, uh, you can look him up online. His name is James McNeese. He was one. He was the commander of the original group that formed the uh, basis of the movie The Dirty Dozen. Mm. They were actually called the Filthy (laughs) Thirteen. And he, like your dad, didn't like to talk about things very much, but I do remember uh, he was a demolition, uh, 101st Airborne. And uh, they weren't really, uh, the movie kind of portrayed him as being, you know, more than they really were in terms of being, he said they weren't, 
he said they were mostly guys that just like to have a little fun in their off-duty time. They weren't guys that were, you know, criminals and things of that nature. But uh, he tells some interesting stories online about how when he was over in England, the food was really bad. So they were right next to a game preserve. And he was uh, grew up in Oklahoma, Oklahoma kid, and uh, kind of, you know, living off the land and stuff, hunting and fishing. And so he would go and get a couple of deer a night for the men <laughs> at this preserve next door, which was, you know, kind of part of, part of the English territory, kind of not, 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 not. What exactly what the the British would have wanted uh, our soldiers to do? But he'd get a couple of deer and and kill them and then hang them up in the tree. And then they had a little river there, and he'd get some salmon. Hmm. And uh, that was the kind of thing that they they would do. But just a great, gentle man, uh, uh, Christian man, just the nicest guy you would you would ever meet. But uh, he would tell you. I remember one story I'll never forget. He told me he said Johnny, you know, always had a way of making you feel like his son or something. He said Johnny. You know, I'd, I'd, we'd go in there uh, on a parachute jump with 20 men, and, and uh, you know, I'd come out, come back with two or three of us alive. <laughs> and uh, so we, I did about 20 of those <laughs> jumps. And um, so that was, and I didn't really appreciate <laughs> that aspect of knowing somebody like this until later on in life, you know, as a kid. So that was one story. My other story was also back in Oklahoma. It was the time that the, some family friends of my grandparents, uh, kind of like, you know, kind of adopted family friends, uh, lived uh, down the road from a man by the name of uh, Warren Spawn, that I'm sure Mike knows. Oh, yes. And I got to go to his house. He lived there on a ranch, and I got to go to his house and see his Cy Youngs. And, hmm. and, I, and, you know, I was probably eight or nine years old. So in a sense, it was cool as a kid. But man, I can't imagine what that'd be like to go as an adult. Right, yeah. right. No, you. And it was like because I didn't. It was like okay, he's got these big, you know, shiny trophies and stuff in there. But it's like, you know, he played in the 1950s for like Milwaukee Brewers and stuff. But it was like signed in a hand, an autograph for me with a, you know, on a baseball card picture autograph. Um, don't know if that's worth any money today or not. But maybe kind of take like, it, um, take it to Kraken and find out. But. You're right, John. An eight or nine year old John didn't fully understand you were well, you were with baseball royalty. Three hundred sixty three wins. Be like running into Bobby yeah. Dore up the Rogue River. Yeah, no, that's right. But but yeah. I'm sure Warren was just a, a friendly guy, and you know he's not sitting here telling you I won all these games. I mean, he's I remember meeting him and really liked. I had dinner, sat at the same dinner table with him in Portland, and it was a, a real pleasure because he was a very nice person. Yeah. So we've got to keep these 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 men alive. They're 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 they're. It was you know I just you know it makes they they truly were yeah yeah honorable honorable men and uh, in this time period and you know just uh, we're beginning to 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 lose them. I know Miss James McNeese I think died within the last mm-hmm. year or four. Three, four, five years in that in that window. Hey, John, we're out of time. John, yeah, call yeah. us back, please, when we get a chance. We'll talk more yeah. about what the important matters that you raise. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with us. We'll see you all tomorrow on twelve forty Joe Radio. Okay, please. Here's the microphone. Is this thing on? This is K E J O Corvallis. Everybody hear me? We're on in five. And Q I D. Twelve forty Joe Radio.